Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. We hear from Matthew 1. Our scripture today is Matthew 1, 18 to 23. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. On his deathbed, uh, Charles Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, lifted his head and said, best of all, God is with us. Today we return to the first chapter of the book of Matthew. Uh, the angel has just told Joseph this baby that Mary is carrying uh, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is to name him Jesus uh, because he will save his people from their sins. Ben, ben preached on that last week. Uh, and Matthew goes on to explain what has just happened uh, by saying, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Lucy just read that for us. So before we begin, I think it's only fair to give you just a few disclaimers, okay? So if we haven't met yet, I'm Nathan. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at New King. And back in August, my wife Amanda and I moved up here from uh, Alabama. And upon hearing that we were leaving, uh, one of our close friends, uh, she said, Oh no, Advent just won't be the same this year. No one Advent's harder than the Sings. Uh, so we have a reputation for really loving Advent, okay? Like, it's the best time of the year. Absolutely love it. Uh, and here's why. I literally cannot handle the idea that God became a man. I can't handle it, um, but I absolutely love it. I love the celebration of it. I love the songs that we sing. Uh, I love the text of Scripture that we read and meditate on. Uh, I love the pomp and circumstance that the celebration uh, of the incarnation of Christ brings. Uh, and it's the only time of the year that I actually like celebrating the waiting. No other time of the year can I wait for anything. Uh, but I love it so much. So here's disclaimer number two. None of you have the pleasure of knowing my parents, but if you did, uh, you would know that I'm about 90% my mother, okay? Uh, but the other 10% of traits that I got from my dad, of those 10% of that, uh, my dad had the ability to like just weep over anything, and I got that one like head on. And that's especially like true during Advent, because I just cannot handle God becoming a man, right? Uh, and so here's disclaimer number three. 
It's not a normal advent for us. Uh, so three weeks yesterday, uh, we lost my dad to uh, his battle with cancer. And you all have been very kind and so gracious to us and prayed for us. Uh, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, but I just say that to say that I am particularly weepy this Advent. Uh, so if crying makes you uncomfortable, you're going to be tense this morning. It's probably going to happen. Uh, but even if you're going to be tense, just bear with me. I'm not crazy. I'm just a little more sad than usual. Uh, but I believe that the Lord has a message uh, for you today. So let's pray and then we'll get started. God, we praise you um, that you are Emmanuel, that you are the God who sees us, uh, that you are the God who is with us, and that you live inside of us uh, for those of us who believe in you through the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would speak to us uh, as we open your word, as we reflect on the name that you have given us, Emmanuel. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, so if you'll notice in Matthew uh, that Matthew says, he gives you the word Emmanuel, and then he says, which is translated, God is with us. So why does he do that? Uh, this is completely free. We're not even to the sermon yet. This is just, I liked it. I want you to like it. So uh, he does this because Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. Uh, so Matthew is writing his gospel in the most common language of the day, which is Greek. And uh, so he's using the most widely used language of the time, and Matthew translates this Hebrew word. So why does he do that? Why does he say his name will be Emmanuel, which is God with us? So he translate that, translates that into Greek. It's because this is a message for everyone. The message that God is with us is a worldwide us. This isn't a message just for Jewish people, which is Matthew's primary audience. It's a message for everyone. It's a message for everyone who has ears to hear that God is the God who is with us. And so if you take away anything from today, take away that the message that God is with us is a message that God is with you and it's for you. So today's promise of Advent is just that, the promise of Emmanuel, God is with us. So in order for us to understand really uh, God as Emmanuel and to unpack that, uh, I think we first need to understand who God is. So uh, Lucius kind of already talked about this and alluded to this, uh, that God became a man is just wild, uh, that he did it as you know, being born as a baby is just absolutely mind-blowing. But we often get wrapped up in this tiny little baby that's laying in a manger. So if you walk in our house and you stand in our living room, I think there are like four nativity scenes that you can see uh, just like standing in one place. And so uh, we kind of just get distracted by the fact that baby, or that Jesus is a baby. Uh, but I want us to think about the majesty and the glory of God. So the majesty and glory of God is all over scripture, uh, but I think one of the most awe-inspiring descriptions comes from the book of Job. So are you familiar with the book of Job? So the book of Job opens, and it gives this description of a wealthy man. His name is Job. He's righteous, and he fears the Lord. And so the Lord allows Satan to take away everything that Job has. He takes away his wealth, he takes away his uh, possessions, he takes away his children, he takes away his health, because Satan believes that Job will curse God. But Job tells us, that he, the, the, the Bible, the book, Job tells us uh, that he doesn't. 
Uh, But from chapters 3 in the book of Job to chapter 37, Job and his mostly dim-witted friends speak some really untrue things about God and the nature of sin. But then in chapter 38, God shows up in a tornado, and he questions Job. And so I want us to, uh, to look at chapter 38 in Job. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, if it helps you to, to, to understand it and to ingest it, to follow along, you can turn to Job 38. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and listen to the majesty of God. That's fine. Um, but this is God describing himself to Job. So Job 38, uh, and I'll start in the very beginning. It says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimension? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared you may come this far but no further, your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a sill. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where's the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead it back to its borders? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where snow is stored? Or have you seen the storehouses of hell, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain on an uninhabited land, on a desert with no human life, to satisfy parched wasteland and cause the grouse to sprout? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the, dew, the drops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven when water becomes hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen? Can you fashion the chains of Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bears and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you, here we are? Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens like cast metal and the clouds of dirt stick together? Can you hunt prey for a lioness? Or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? 
Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wonder about their lack of food? And God goes on for three more chapters, describing what he has done and what he continues to do as he holds all things together. And this God who established the earth, who holds the storehouses of snow, who sends out lightning bolts, who imposes the law of the heavens on the earth, this God humbles himself, is conceived as a baby by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and is born in a dirty stable in the city of David. This God, whose voice thunders in the night sky, cries as a newborn in the night sky of Bethlehem. Don't miss that when you think about Christmas and the baby in the manger. As we, can, as we consider Emmanuel with us, it's important to note that when God reveals a name to us in Scripture, it's not a new characteristic of God. There are no new characteristics of God. God is unchanging. So when God says, I am Emmanuel, that has been true from eternity past, and it will continue to be true for eternity future. And so it's my desire today that you would see that the story of Scripture is a story that God is with us. God has always been with his people, and he will always be with his people. So Scripture begins with God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, God brought to life everything that is. He made man in his own image, and he put him in the garden, paradise, and gave him his helper woman. God declared his creation good, and he declared Adam and Eve very good. And everything was right and pure and perfect. And the Bible says that in the cool of the day, God walked in the garden with them. And God was with Adam and Eve. He created them, and together along with them, he enjoyed his creation. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God and broke his law, thus shattering their relationship with God and their ability to be with him in paradise. And so God kicked them out of the garden. And it would seem that all hope was lost, that God was not with man. But I want you to look closely to the pages of the Old Testament. Over and over again, God will make a way to be with his people, even in their sin. So just a few chapters over from Genesis 3, we learn that Noah walked with God, and God spared his family from utter destruction of the earth. The, the Lord appeared to Abraham and promised him a land and a nation. He cut a covenant with Abraham, and he walked by Abraham, securing the promise that he had just made with him. God was with Isaac. God wrestled Jacob. God lifted Joseph from the pit to the palace. When Moses was in the wilderness, and saw the burning bush, God called out to him in Exodus 7. He said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them. As the children of Israel fled the chains of their oppressors, Exodus 13, 21 says, The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. They rejoiced in the wilderness with singing, praising God, saying, You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. 
And when the people came uh, to Sinai, the mountain of God, the scriptures say, on the third day when, Moses, when morning came, there was a trumpet and a lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. He revealed his glory to Moses on that mountain. When the tabernacle was complete, his glory came down and filled the temple. At the end of Moses' life, God took Moses up to Mount Nebo to show him the promised land of which Moses was not allowed to go into. And then he took Moses' body and he buried it in the valley of Nebo. He was with Israel as they crossed into the promised land. His spirit fell on the judges. First Samuel tells us that his spirit came powerfully on David. At the blessing of the temple in 1 Kings 8, Solomon cries out, Blessed be the Lord. He has given us rest to his people Israel according to all he has said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. May the Lord our God be with us as he, has, as he was with our ancestors. And so God lived in the temple among his people. God took Elijah in the whirlwind. He rested his spirit on Elisha. He renewed his covenant with Josiah. He anointed Isaiah with good news. He touched the mouth of Jeremiah. He breathed life into the dry bones before Ezekiel. He was in the fiery furnace. He shut the mouths of lions. He beckoned his adulterous bride back to him to Hosea's unconditional love. He promised the pouring out of his spirit to Joel. He rescued Jonah with the belly of a well. He promised renewal to Malachi. And then the mouth of God closes for 400 years. And it seemed that God was no longer Emmanuel. It seemed like God was no longer with us. Until an angel shows up with a message to Zechariah, to Mary, and to Joseph. And the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then... In a stable in Bethlehem, the God who has always been with us was now dwelling with us. God had come to earth. He had set his, aside his glory and humbled himself as a man. The Bible says in Luke 2 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. And so for 30 years, uh, Jesus grows up and God prepares him for his public ministry. And in his first letter, John says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And so the Gospels describe Jesus calling his disciples to him. He was with them as they traveled throughout Israel as he, as he preached to the people. And so John testified that they had heard him, that they had seen him, that they touched him, that they observed everything that he did. This Jesus, this God, this Savior of the world was with them, and he revealed the Father to them. He proclaimed the truth, he drove out demons, he healed the sick, he shared in the weaknesses of those around him, he experienced sorrow, grief, and shame. And this majestic God, this Jesus who set aside his glory, came to earth and he experienced every aspect of life, fully human and fully God. And after three years, the time came for Jesus to save his people from their sins. 
The crucifixion of Jesus happened at the time of the Passover on the night Jesus was betrayed. And he gathers his disciples together into the upper room, and he spent one last night with them uh, before he would be arrested and later killed. It was on that night Jesus promised that God would be with them even after Jesus returned to the Father. So Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to his believers uh, so that God would be with them forever. It's through the Holy Spirit that you and I today experience Emmanuel. And I want us to take just the next few moments and dive into these passages beginning in John 14. You You can turn there. And and let's look at the gift of the Holy Spirit from Jesus uh, that he gave to his followers so they might experience Emmanuel. So I'm going to read several passages. They'll be up on the screen. They start in uh, in chapter 14 and verse 15, and I'll kind of guide you along as we jump around. So let's look first at John 14, uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and I and will be in you. Now jump down to verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jump to John 15, 26. He says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And now jump to 16, verse 7. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And then jump down to verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, But he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, God, would come and make his home with the people of God. So the disciples would experience Emmanuel forever through the coming of the Holy Spirit. He promised that you and I, uh, if we have believed on the Lord Jesus and have been saved from our sins, would experience Emmanuel forever as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So I want us to consider five ways we experience Emmanuel through the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is with us forever because he will come and make his home with us. 
So Jesus promises his followers that God will come to us and make his home with us. Christ dwells in his people through the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 3. He says that the believer is filled with all the fullness of God. Believer, you right at this moment are experiencing Emmanuel because God is dwelling inside of you. Further, this promise is forever. As Jesus is about to ascend uh, back to the Father in Matthew 28, he reminds his followers that he is with them always. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we experience the presence of Jesus. And that will be forever. And number two, the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth and points us to Jesus. Throughout Scripture, it's plain that all truth is revealed from God by the working of his Spirit. Here, Jesus tells his followers that the Holy Spirit will guide them in all truth. We see this play out in the book of Acts through the apostles. This bumbling band of misfit men boldly stand up and preach the truth of Christ over and over again through the power of the Holy Spirit. Further, the scriptures reveal the true nature of Satan. John 8.44 says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So the Holy Spirit enables us to fight against the schemes of Satan and to walk in the truth. Everything the Holy Spirit does points back to Jesus. There's no new revelation. He is not telling you something that Jesus himself has not already said to you. And be assured, believer, if the Holy Spirit is telling you something that Jesus would not agree with, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's number three. The Holy Spirit enables us to testify about Jesus. So just before Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit enables Jesus' followers to testify about the good news of Jesus. Again, we see this all throughout the book of Acts. As thousands come to saving faith, just in the first few chapters. Not because of anything the apostles did, but because the Holy Spirit was enabling to testify boldly about Jesus. And listen to me, the same Spirit that testified about Jesus through the followers, uh, through his followers in the book of Acts, is the same spirit living inside of you. It's the same spirit that gives you the power to testify to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family members that Jesus saves his people from their sins. Number four, the Holy Spirit convicts the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So we pause the story of Emmanuel as we came to the night Jesus was betrayed, but let's pick up and, fin- and, and move on for just, a little mi- for just a minute. So after celebrating the Passover in the upper room, Jesus takes his disciples out to the Mount of Olives uh, to pray. And as he's finishing, uh, an angry mob who's led by Judas, who was one of his disciples, uh, they come to arrest Jesus and put him on trial. So though no one could find any fault, the people choose Jesus to be crucified. The sinless Son of God was sentenced to death. This was the plan all along. God was making a way to continue to be Emmanuel to his people. 
And on the cross, God poured out his wrath that you and I deserve for our sin onto Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus gave up his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins that you and I committed. Jesus was buried, on the thir- and on the third day he rose to life again, defeating death and restoring man's relationship with God that was broken in the garden. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world about their sin, about righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit empowers you to testify, but it's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who tells people they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And through his accomplished work on the cross, Jesus is that Savior. It's the Holy Spirit who imputes righteousness, which is just a big word that means he puts Jesus' righteousness on you. So he puts uh, Jesus' righteousness on sinners so that their relationship with God is restored and they can experience Emmanuel in the way that he was meant to be experienced. It's the Holy Spirit who warns of coming judgment on sinners and pulls them from the fires of hell and points them to Jesus. Friend, if you're here today and you've never experienced the God who is with us, and turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus who saves sinners. Just a few minutes when I'm done in the back, there'll be some people uh, standing back there and they would love to talk to you about that if you need uh, someone to talk to him. So number five, the Holy Spirit declares what is to come. As believers, we hope in Emmanuel because the Holy Spirit declares what is to come. Emmanuel has always been with us. He is with us today, and he will always be with us. I want you to turn to Revelation 21. This is where it might get a little dicey. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them, and, they, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have all passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, At the beginning and the end, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jump down to verse 22. He's speaking about the new Jerusalem. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their glory to it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. 
They will bring the glory and honor of the nations to it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at chapter 22, verse 3. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need light or of a lamp or the light of the sun because the, God, because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We're headed back to the garden. From the very beginning, God desired to dwell with his people, to be Emmanuel with them. And even though God's presence was with his people throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't the same. Oh, but the day is coming when God's dwelling place will be with humanity. And he will live with them. And the previous things will all pass away. And God will make everything new. For those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, who have walked with him and persevered to the end, God's dwelling place will be with us. The promise of Emmanuel will be true for all of eternity. Church, a day is coming when Emmanuel will reign and dwell with his people. There will be no sin, no death, no grief. Whatever it is that you're going through today, God is with you and is bringing you a day when trials will be a thing of the past. Jesus, Emmanuel, knows what you're going through today because he came and he dwelt among us. Maybe you're weak and tired. He was. Maybe you feel shame. He did. Maybe you're afraid. He was. Maybe you're grieving the death of a loved one. He did. Maybe you're burdened for a lost friend or a neighbor. He was. Believer, open your eyes and gaze at Emmanuel, the God who is with us. He is the lifter of your head. He is your greatest sympathizer. He has prepared a place for you where everything will be made new and right, where you will see him face to face, and you will dwell with him forever, and you too will proclaim Best of all, God is with us. Let's pray. God, we praise you that in your majestic glory and in your unending grace and mercy that you came to earth to dwell among us that you walked our side, that you experienced our greatest joys and our greatest trials. We praise you that through Jesus you are our greatest sympathizer. God, we beg you to lift our heads, to help us gaze to Emmanuel, who is with us, and any trial that we're going through today. We praise you that his name was Jesus and that he saved his people from their sins. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.